Chapter 5. Land Ho. It was three o'clock when Rudy and Mike tiptoed out of the emergency tent which had been hastily erected for the former occupants of the now uninhabitable cabin 13. Two hours of sleep, moaned Mike as they made their way to the dock. The boys had been up until one, digging in the rubble for their belongings and setting up the emergency tent to shelter themselves for the night. Why can't we escape when we've had some rest? There will never be a better time than this, Rudy insisted. The clones are all so exhausted that they wouldn't wake up if we fired a cannon in the compound. His eyes scanned the boats bobbing at the dock. Here's a nice little sailboat, and there's a fairly good breeze. He nodded, satisfied. We should be on the mainland in no time. It's too dark, mumbled Mike, struggling into his life jacket. It's only dark, said Rudy, because you haven't opened your eyes yet. Snap out of it. It's going to take the two of us to get this thing across the water. He buckled himself into his own life jacket. I'm tired. Life jackets on correctly, snapped Rudy crisply. Yep. Emergency oars. Yep. Bailing bucket. Hey, we've even got a bailing bucket. How about that? Extra gas can. You forgot extra gas can. No, thank you, sir, said Rudy. This is a sailboat. And may I remind you that there will be no sleeping on board by passengers or crew. We will be leaving port in five seconds. Since you still have one foot on the dock, I recommend you make up your mind. Mike jumped aboard and looked oddly at his companion. It was remarkable how even the thought of leaving Algonquin Island managed to animate Rudy's personality. Rudy ran up the sail and slowly the boat began to creep away from the dock. Ahoy there, Webster, look alive or I'll have you swab in the deck. Do you have to do that, grumbled Mike. Yes, I have to do that, explained Rudy. You're falling asleep. There's a, take a new port starboard heading, man the poop deck, trim the mainsail, a vasty swab. I can't go port and starboard at the same time, growled Mike. And we have no poop deck, and that's not just the mainsail, it's our only sail. Do you refuse to enter into the spirit of things? Said Rudy with mock dejection. We're moving along really well, I think. He shaded his eyes in his best seafaring manner. There she blows. There what blows? Asked Mike, annoyed. He sat up suddenly, eyes wide, and pointed to the limp sail. Nothing blows. Nothing, Rudy. We've lost the wind. What are we going to do? We're only a third of the way across. It doesn't matter, said Reed confidently. We've got a long time until Reveille. After last night, the clones won't want the prisoners up until eight or nine. The current will take us the rest of the way by then. I don't know, said Mike anxiously. Maybe we should start rowing. Go right ahead, invited Rudy. I'm going to sit back, relax, and let the current do the work. Well, I guess you're right, Mike conceded. For a little while, anyway, until we see how things go. The two boys reclined in their becalmed sailboat. Tiny waves lapped against the hull and the small craft drifted aimlessly. Soon Rudy and Mike were fast asleep. A sudden jar and an odd scraping sound brought Mike Webster to awareness. Hey, we're here! Rudy, we're here! Wake up, wake up, we made it! Rudy snapped to attention. It was still dark, a little past five according to the luminous face on his watch. The boat had beached itself on a sandbar not five meters from shore. Land ho, he commented blandly. Now wasn't that better than rowing? Mike nodded enthusiastically. Okay, said Rudy briskly. Time to set the boat adrift. Where's the note? I thought you were bringing the note. Rudy sighed. Must I do everything? Oh, well, we'll just set it adrift without a note. They'll figure it out. The two scrambled out of the sailboat, pushed it out towards the open water, and waded ashore. Where to? asked Mike. Just walk, said Rudy, directly away from the lake. He reached into his pocket and produced a shiny quarter. You see this quarter? When we reach a payphone, this is our ticket home. I've been saving it since the day I arrived at Alcatraz. They trudged in silence for a while. You know, said Mike suddenly, I don't think my folks are going to be too pleased with the fact that I ran away from camp. Oh, mine won't either, said Rudy, and Guidance will be most distressed. But after a while, they'll get used to the idea. They always do. His eyes gleamed in the darkness. The one thing I regret about leaving camp is that I won't get to witness Harold Green's punishment for starting the riot. Yeah, agreed Mike, grinning. Chip is so mad he's likely to put him on work detail for years. Serves him right too, the twit. Rudy wrinkled his nose. 
We're getting close to civilization. I smell garbage. He tossed his quarter up in the air and caught it deftly. Where there's garbage, there's people, and where there's people, there's a telephone. He was almost smiling. Sun's coming up, commented Mike. Rudy consulted his watch. Ten to six, he announced. Look, there's a clearing up ahead. Civilization. People. Telephones. Both boys broke into a run. They came out of the trees into the clearing and stopped dead, mouths agape. There was the wash station and the baseball diamond and the mess hall and cabins one through 22, including the damaged 13. This, said Rudy quietly, is obviously not civilization. Mike stepped forward and spread his arms wide. But how? You were steering, Rudy pointed out. You fell asleep too. Yes, but I wasn't steering. Mike sat down on the grass. I don't want to be back here, he said simply. I want to go home. Let's go get another boat. Oh, too late, said Rudy, eyeing the sunrise. The clones would catch us right in the middle of the lake. But tomorrow's another day, he grimaced. It's a good thing we didn't put a note in that boat explaining how we'd run off. We'd look awfully stupid. And we'd also held garbage even longer than Harold Green. Mike hung his head and scratched the turf. I'm sorry, he said. It's all my fault. If I hadn't fallen asleep, we'd be on our way home by now. Rudy shrugged. I accept your apology. Mike stared at him. You mean you're not going to shoulder one bit of the blame? Why should I? asked Rudy. I wasn't steering. Mike laughed in spite of himself. Rudy was, after all, Rudy, and that was that. Walking over to cabin 13, Rudy wriggled gingerly through the hole in the sidewall and stepped gracefully through the ankle-deep feathers to what had been his corner. From his pocket, he produced the chalk and drew a fourth line beside the other three on the wall. Four, he counted wearily. Well, you guys, said Chip at the breakfast table, there'll be no activities for you today. Drat the luck, said Rudy poker-faced. I was planning on a little baseball, soccer, swimming, volleyball, badminton, obstacle course, field hockey, and darts, and then after lunch... Miller, cut that out, bellowed Chip. We've got a cabin to fix up. If you guys are going to act like animals, you're going to have to miss some of the fun. May I remind you, said Rudy quietly, that it was not one of us who kicked in the wall. Shut up, growled Chip. Yeah, shut up, snarled Hale Green. I bet it was your fault last night. You'd have a hard time proving that, said Rudy, considering you're the one who jumped on Adam. The bed was broken. Of course it was broken. You kept on hurling yourself onto it. What did you expect? You're nothing but a nut, screamed Harold. And you're a twit, shouted Mike. Now let's not lose our tempers, said Rudy quietly. You guys are both crazy. We haven't got one nut. We've got two. Two nuts and a twit, counted, countered Mike, red-faced. And no cabin, Rudy asked and added. Cool it, you guys, yelled Chip. Stay out of this, chorused Mike and Harold furiously. Angrily, Chip doubled his fist and hit the table with a mighty crash. A leg snapped, the table tilted, and an assortment of trays and dishes slid off onto the floor. There was a shocked silence, broken by Rudy's dry voice. I can just see the headline now. Table destroyed at Alcatraz. Toll of phantom wood butcher rises to two. A piercing hoot escaped Mike Webster. He broke into gales of laughter. Chip pointed in turn to Harold, Mike, and Rudy. Work detail, work detail, work detail. They were interrupted by the appearance of Frank, the head counselor, in the doorway. Attention, everybody. All campers and staff are to report to the baseball diamond after breakfast. Mr. Warden has something to say to us. And I've got something to say to him, commented Rudy. His legs are crooked. Mike's laughter swelled again. Chip pointed at him and then at Rudy. Work detail, work detail. Yes, yes, soothed Rudy. Now let's see, said Rudy, as he and Mike settled themselves among the crowds on the baseball diamond. I got two days work detail and you got two days work detail, but little Harold only got one. It looks as if twits have higher standing than nuts around here. Mike was just getting himself back under control. Oh, Rudy, don't make me laugh. Please don't make me laugh when the warden comes. 
All eyes were drawn to the camp director's cottage at the edge of the baseball field. The front door opened and Mr. Warden emerged, smartly dressed in a white tennis outfit. He strutted briskly to the small platform that Frank had set up for him, mounted it, and reached for the microphone. Look, murmured Rudy, you can see half the camp through his legs. Mike held his head. Surviving this assembly without receiving more work detail was not going to be easy. Good morning, boys," said Mr. Warden sternly. "It was obvious that all that the direct it was obvious to all that the director was furious. You all know why I've called you here this morning. I'm referring to the outrageous events of last night. I have no doubt that most of you were involved. Some more than others," said Rudy, staring at Harold Green. "Rudy," whispered Mike warningly. Chip was glaring in their direction. "Now, boys," said the director. "This is Camp Algonquian Island. It was founded thirty-one years ago by my grandfather, Elias Warden, and in all that time, not once before last night has any wanton destruction occurred. Much damage was caused by your foolishness. Damage that must be repaired at the camp's expense. Since you have proved that you have, cannot be trusted on your own, in future patrols will be posted during counselors' meetings. Meanwhile, you will take turns assisting the boys of Cabin Thirteen in repairing their unit. That takes priority over everything." He paused to let his words sink in. It would benefit campers and counselors, he added, glaring at Chip, if we all learn to practice a little self-control. And one more thing. A two-person sailboat is missing from the dock. There can only be two reasons for this, both of them unacceptable to me. Either the boat was improperly tied and drifted away, or someone has taken it without permission. Whoever is responsible had better own up soon. Your counselors will tell you what hours you will be working on cabin 13. See that the events of last night are not repeated. Good day. Gee, he's crabby, remarked Rudy. Groups of campers spent the morning clearing out the wreckage of Cabin 13, salvaging bedding and whatever reusable lumber they could find. Shortly before noon, two professional carpenters arrived by launch from the mainland. Miller, shouted Chip at one point, you get in there and help. I don't salvage, was Rudy's reply. The heck you don't. So Rudy bent his back the same as everyone else. Sentenced to one month hard labor, Rudy recited, hauling a mattress out to air on the grass. The noble nuts are forced to toil endlessly in the hot sun for the satisfaction of the dreaded clone taskmasters. This is definitely slave labor, grunted Mike, beating the dust out of a pillow. Come on, you guys, shouted Chip. Hurry it up, keep moving. He walked up to Rudy. Do you know anything about that missing sailboat, Miller? I don't sail, said Rudy. I'm not surprised to hear that, said Chip. All right, you guys, he bellowed. Break for lunch. Wash station first. I don't know about you, said Rudy, as he and Mike entered the wash station, but they've seen the last of me on that job site. My parents sent me to camp to have fun. Mike splashed water onto his sweaty face. How are you going to get out of it? I'm going to get poisoned from lunch, I think, and sleep it off in the infirmary, Rudy decided, with my music player. Miraculously, it survived the disaster. They found my guitar, said Mike forlornly. Smashed. Alcatraz will probably pay for the repair, said Rudy. After all, it got smashed in their cabin, which was destroyed by their campers, and the finishing touch was delivered by their clone. Hey, we, he went on, I wonder if anyone's fixed our mess table. We may have to eat off the floor. That'll be okay for you, said Mike. It'll be easier to get poisoned off the floor. I'm going to have to work this afternoon. Why don't you get poisoned too, suggested Rudy. I'm sure there's plenty of poison to go around. Mike shook his head. I'd better not. They'd get suspicious if there were two of us. You go ahead. The boys arrived in the mess hall to find that Table 13 had been replaced by a long sheet of plywood resting on two sawhorses. Because the sawhorses were slightly different sizes, the new table had a pronounced slope. Mike put down his tray and watched helplessly as the orange rolled away towards the end of the table. It hit the edge of Chip's tray, bounced into the air, and landed with a resounding plop in the counselor's soup. Nice shot, commented Rudy. He gave him a real snootful. 
Cut the comedy, snapped Chip, wiping the soup off his face. All right, you guys, hurry up. We've got a job to do this afternoon. And don't eat anything round, advised Rudy. He tasted his tomato soup. Hey, this tastes spoiled. It's not spoiled, said Chip. Well, you ought to know. You're covered in it. Rudy finished his soup, making sour faces all the while. Then he turned to his hot dog and took a bite. Ugh, where do they store the meat? Out in the sun? There's nothing wrong with those hot dogs, Miller, said Chip warningly. Eat. Rudy ate, and when the last bite was gone, he doubled over on the bench and gasped. You made me eat, and now I'm sick. He's not sick, sneered Harold Green. He's just trying to get out of working this afternoon. Shut up, Green, snapped Chip. He turned to Rudy. You're not sick, Miller. You're just trying to get out of working this afternoon. I'm sick, said Rudy, and if I don't get to the infirmary soon, I'm going to die at your hands, just like the cabin and the table. That does it, growled Chip. There was nothing wrong with the food, and there's nothing wrong with you. Now sit up straight and save your strength. You're going to need it for this afternoon. If I die, warned Rudy, I'll take that chance. We're lucky, commented Rudy, heaving a huge garbage bag onto his wheelbarrow. We got off work duty so we could serve our work detail. Isn't camp fun? Ugh, spaghetti, exclaimed Mike, taping a torn bag. He laughed. Did he notice that Chip sat at the high end of the table at supper? Good thing, too. Yeah, agreed Rudy. After all, it was his clone ship who spilled the spaghetti that came oozing down at Harold Green. That twit'll be picking spaghetti out of his lap for the duration. Mike laughed again. Anyway, we'll have a roof over our heads tonight. The wall's back up and they're setting up the bunks now. He grasped the handles of the wheelbarrow and started down the path. Are we going to give any es- are we going to give escaping another shot tomorrow? Rudy shook his head. I'd like to, but it's just not practical, he replied. The clones are really watching the dock since that sailboat <coughs> disappeared. Let's give it another day and see what happens. They approached the dump to find Harold Green already there emptying his wheelbarrow. Well, said Rudy, observe the typical Algonquian twit in his natural habitat. Shut up, Miller. It's your fault. I got work detail. Everything is your fault. I try, said Rudy modestly. Oh, you make me so mad, screamed Harold. That's because you're so nasty, shouted Mike. You two, leave me alone, warned Harold, or I'll tell Chip you attacked me. Liar, shouted Mike, outraged. Twit! Kindly move out of the way, said Rudy to Harold. I'm dumping my garbage. Webster, you're even worse than him. You're a real nut. How'd you like to eat this garbage, warned Mike. Nut, screamed Harold in a white-hot rage. Nut! Twit, screamed Mike back. Bonehead skunk! Ah! Blindly, Harold stormed out of the clearing in the wrong direction. Rudy cupped his hand to his ear with something almost like a smile on his face. Splash! He's in the creek, crowed Mike. Harold fell in the creek. Help, came a gurgling voice. <sighs> Come on, said Rudy wearily. Let's go fish him out. I suppose we have to, said Mike sadly. Rudy nodded. Each hauling on an arm, Rudy and Mike pulled Harold onto his feet in the shallow water of the creek. I'll fix you, he spluttered. I'm going to tell Chip you threw me in. Well, in that case, said Rudy. His eyes met Mike's and both boys nodded. They dropped Harold back into the water. And Green says that they threw him in the creek, and Miller says he fell in, Chip finished at the counselor's meeting later that night. Well, said Dave, it's obvious that Miller's lying. That's what I said to him, said Chip. And do you know what his response was? I don't lie. And do you know what? I believe him. He may be everything else in the world, but a liar he isn't. Chip, began Frank, the head counselor, we've been doing quite a bit of talking about your kid Miller, and we've decided that he's a real problem. Well, hallelujah, said Chip, chin in hand. Now tell me something I don't know. He looked up suddenly, his eyes anxious. That sounded like Miller. I'm starting to sound like Miller. Just take it easy, soothed Frank. Don't let the kid get to you. Tomorrow, all your problems will be solved. How? asked Chip. What are you going to do? Drown Miller? Would you drown Green too, and maybe Webster? Tomorrow, said Frank determinedly, we are going to make your Miller take part in our sports program, and we've got an extensive one planned. 
Chip was not impressed. You tell him, he said. Don't worry, promised Frank. We'll tell him. The beaver was still trembling. The sound and smell of humans was often in the woods, but this had been different. One of them had been in the water, dangerously close to the unfinished dam. Nothing must interfere with his work. Nothing must harm the dam.